Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Right on. Well, John, thank you for coming all the way from Vancouver. I, I know you flew out just to come on the podcast, so we really appreciate it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm glad you could squeeze us in. So, yeah, tell us about yourself, man. Take it away. Uh, to, to just tell my story? Yeah, that? for sure. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you tell. I'll, I might pipe in with some bullshit, but don't worry about it. It's not going to be anything earth-shattering. Okay, um, yeah, so <laughs> my name is John Spencer. Um, uh, I'll start with my sobriety date. It's uh, February... Uh, the 17th, 2010. Uh, uh, my story is though, uh, I grew up uh, with two loving parents in a loving home with two younger brothers. And uh, mom and dad didn't drink, it wasn't anything like that. It was, uh, <clears throat> ever since I can remember, I just had like a tough time with people and mm-hmm. fitting in, you know, like as far as back as I can remember, I remember feeling great too. And it was just like, I had a hard time at school, man. I had a hard time learning and a hard time just like, even just being there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember at a point they were gonna actually remove me for a year, but I'm glad my mom decided not to do that. But uh, yeah, um, you know, so struggled a lot, and you can imagine I got in lots of fights as a young kid. I, you know, uh, like I was always defending myself, and I think the first thing I did that you know would be like anything like an alcoholic behavior was, uh, you know. Stole from the candy store and gave it to kids to be my friend. Mm. That kind of behavior. I'd steal the candy. If I give them the candy, they'll be my friends. Mm. That was it was a good gig for me. And I did it for a long time. Like the lady would chase me home quite often. You know, good thing I was little and fast back then, and she couldn't catch me. But um, you know, that was the first thing. And then the second thing I remember, like grade six, smoking a cigarette. You know, mm. sneaking off in the bushes and smoking cigarettes with my friends and. Uh, you know, it made me feel like, I felt like I was, felt cool or like I had mm. people that cared about me, right? And, uh, you know, and not that my family didn't, I just felt really awkward. And, mm. uh, you know, uh, growing up, we always played sports and we were always doing healthy, fun things. But, uh, you know, that wasn't the, the way I wanted to, to really live my life as mm. even being young, I know. And um, the first time I picked up a drink was in grade eight. You know, I went ended up going to another school in a different district because of those all those learning disabilities I have. And they had a special school for me. And... Uh, First day of grade eight, I got drunk for the first time in my life, and my life forever changed, right? And uh, I still remember, there's, there's me and another fellow and two girls, I can't remember their names, but, you know, I remember them sipping on, you know, we had two cans of beer and a two-liter of cooler, and 
them sipping it and me chugging it, mm. you know. And the first time I, I drank, I know I did the thing where I got really drunk and it fell down and I was holding on the earth because I thought it was going to fall off and I sat up and I got really sick and I was like, this is cool, man. Mm. I, I want to do this again, and, you know. And those kids told some other kids, this, this new kid, like, this is a kid you want to hang out mm. with, right? And so I, my whole life I tried to chase that first drunk, you know, and uh, uh, I'm saying by the time I was 17, I was drinking alcoholically, you know. Mm. I'd have kids that were not inviting me to house parties or parties uh, with other teenage kids because of the, the, the damage and the destruction mm. I would do, you know. Like, I remember hitting on one kid's mom and another kid's sister and breaking another kid's coffee table and, you know, not thinking anything was wrong with that, you mm. know. I'm just a teenage kid drinking and trying to have some fun, don't, don't you know? You know, and mm-hmm. I remember it the first time being called, be called an alcoholic, I was 17. And I looked at them and said, I can't be, man. I'm, I'm 17, I can't be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You're crazy, man. And, uh, you know, uh, by that time I was like drinking all the way to school. I was drinking during school and after school. And, you know, I lived with two parents that were really strict, so I had to be really careful. Like, I had to try to like be a little bit sober when I got home. I had to try to act normal when I go home. I had two little brothers that, you know, I had to make sure that, that they weren't going to be telling on me, right? It was, uh, it was quite the, the kind of a lifestyle I've already mm-hmm. gotten for myself by the time I was 17. And uh, I think by 19 is when my dad changed careers and, you know, he became a deputy. He became a sheriff and he actually got transferred over to Vancouver Island. We lived on the mainland. So, you know, it made it easier for me to do the things that I wanted to do mm-hmm. because my father would be gone, you know, um, five days of the week. You know, and he'd come home for those two days, and I know I'd have to try to behave for those two days, and he would leave. And mm-hmm. you know, I was given like the man of the, the house kind of, that was my job when he was gone to protect everybody, but that wasn't what I was really up for. You know, mm-hmm. I remember quite often my mom saying, "Do you want me to call your father and tell him to come over here?" Just because I was getting in so much trouble, you know. Mm-hmm. But that time I'm getting arrested, and you know, just hanging out with people I really should have been hanging out with, but they were doing the things that I was doing. So mm-hmm. me, it was, it, was, it was normal. Today, looking back, I, I could see why you shouldn't have been doing it, right? And, uh, you know, I had my first child at 21, and uh, the, their mother was 18. We were this young couple, like, there's no way I could manage my life. So there's no way I could manage, you know, a, a little guy's life. And, uh, you know, but I grew up the way, like, uh, if you had a baby or something, you, had, you married him. That was just the way I was raised. Like, mm-hmm. it was old style. Like, that was just the way it was going to be. And that's what ended up happening. I got married when my son was six months old. And uh, <clears throat> I remember being super drunk before the wedding, even before we even did our vows. Like, it was just, it was like, it was just, it was a gong show right from the start. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just imagine, like, the marriage was just, wasn't good from the beginning, you know? So by the time I'm 26, I have three kids now, right? And, you know, I have another substance abuse problem besides drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I, like, I love cocaine. I tell people I loved it. Like, it, that's, that was my thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I lived for. There, there'd be lots of times I'd be home a day of the week, and then I'd be gone. And she would be, where are you? And mm-hmm. I'd come home for a day, and I would be gone. And that was... Our marriage was like that for a long, long time, you know, and I started hanging out with some really rough guys doing some really bad things because they were paying me really good money to do those things. And, uh, you know, uh, I felt like a rock star, you know, like this is the life I was going to live. And, uh, you know, I'm in my late 20s, early 30s, and there's people I'm hanging out with slowly. Some of them are getting murdered. Some of them are going missing. And some of them are just dying from drug overdoses. And I can't see that there's a problem, you know, like I can't see that what I'm doing it's, I'm, it's like that's 
that's they have bad luck. Mm. Like the like uh, too bad, you know. Like I'm yeah. I'm okay and uh, your luck is better. My, yeah, I'm doing a little bit better, you know. Mm. Like I'm doing the things that you're not doing, which wasn't true. And uh, you know, through this marriage, the kid's mom <clears throat> would threaten me all the time. I'm, I'm gonna leave, and I tell her well, there's the door, mm. and she wouldn't leave for years. So I never thought that would be a thing, you know. Mm. And uh, I remember came. I'll never forget it. It was my first time I got sober. It was April twenty sixth, two thousand and six. I came home and the door kind of like just opened up. Like it wasn't even locked in the house. It looked a little bit empty and it was black and the cupboards were open. And I was like, what's going on? Where is everybody? And there, sure enough, there's like $100 in a dresser and a note saying, we've, we've left. You know, you know, don't try to find us. We're going to like, we're gone. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, I remember that's the first time I thought about ever killing myself too, right? I was like, hey, I had no point of living, right? Like. I really was wanted to stay around because my kids, although I really didn't know them, that's the truth, or no, like I knew I had kids, but I didn't know the things they liked, the color, like all those things that you should know about your child. I didn't know very much of those things. And uh, anyhow, so I was really thinking about killing myself. And you know, the, for the first time in a long time, one of my brothers walked in through my front door and I turned around and he's standing there. And I think it was like a godsend because I was really going to kill myself that time. And uh, and uh, I remember him taking me to, to my mom's house and they kind of did like the show intervention. If you've seen it, that's mm -hmm. exactly what it was. It was my dad, my mom and my one brother. And it was kind of like, this is how it's going to be. Either going to do this or we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know anything about detox or alcoholics anonymous or none of that. And uh, she said, uh, we're going to call and get you into detox. I'm like, what's that? And, uh, and then we'll try to find your kids. And that's exactly what happened. You know, uh, I spent three days packing that house that I was in and looking for my kids and eventually found them uh, up in the interior somewhere with their mom and dad and you know and I'm in a detox center and I'm just like what's going on with my life the last 72 hours have just been uh, really insane you know and uh, I remember sitting in that in that detox sweating like I've never sweat before right because mm. I hadn't had a drink or a drug in three days and um Still thinking that the people that I was in there with were crazy, and I was, and I was a normal one. Mm. You know, I remember that first detox panel came in, and I couldn't relate to them. And uh, and I I asked one guy, I'm like, I need to get out of here. And he goes, No, it's a seven day program, and you have to stay. And uh, you know, so that I followed directions. And day six, one of the guys who I made friends with is like, So, you're gonna go to a recovery house after this? I'm like, Well, what's that? Mm. Like. Really, I have no clue what's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know what recovery is about. And I said, sure, uh, what is it? What is it? He, I'll never forget the way he explained to me. He goes, it's like jail, but you got lots of free time. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, well, I've been to jail lots, and I like to be free, so maybe I'll try it out. So the house that he was at actually had an extra bed, and uh, I remember going there, and, you know, <clears throat> my first time getting sober was, wasn't nothing to do with me and why I wanted to be sober. It was, you know, I wanted to get all my things back and my family back and, you know, I just wanted everything to, to feel what was normal to me, you mm -hmm. know. And, uh, you know, I remember going to this recovery house and the guy goes, he, he like, the guy around the house goes, no one ever here gets 30 days. And I was like, oh, self-will. like, I'll show mm -hmm. you, I'll get 30 days, man. And I got that 30 days. And he goes, no, no one here ever gets six months sober, man. All right. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And, I did, and he did that all the way up to a year. So I ended up getting a year sober in this recovery house. And, uh. You know, I did, I did a set of steps, but I really didn't do them, like, 
we really should be doing. It wasn't Pharaoh. It's just like, mm -hmm. I'm going to do these things so I can say I've got them done, and then, then they won't bug me about doing those things I need to mm -hmm. do. And, uh, you know, it was about the, around the 14th month, Mark, my first time I got sober, where I just, like, I had mentally relapsed in my head. Like, I hadn't picked up yet, but I was like, I was already in my head. I was done. I stopped like going to the meeting I was going to. I gave the keys back to the mm -hmm. church. I stopped the step group that I was, <laughs> I was participating in, you know, and uh, at the same time, I was trying to save a female in recovery because that's mm -hmm. what I thought I needed to do. And uh, she was super sick and she really didn't get well, didn't want to get well. And uh, so the best, my best idea was, we'll just move in together and I, we, I can be with her 24 seven mm -hmm. and everything will be okay. And uh, It's amazing that that seems like a good idea. Yeah, like so many to so many people at so many of the similar times, it just yeah. seems like the right thing to do. It's and, wild, and I did yeah. not see anything wrong with it. Meanwhile, yeah. I have all these guys with long-term <clears throat> sobriety saying this is not a good idea, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to, someone needs to move. You need to continue to do your sobriety. Like, mm -hmm. you're going to pick up a drink, and you know. So what I did was I stopped talking to those old guys mm -hmm. because they didn't know what I was, what, what, how good of a person I was. You mm -hmm. know, like, don't you know what I'm going to be doing? And uh, it was just chaos. Mm -hmm. Once again, I'm in this another really chaotic, chaotic uh, relationship. And, uh, you know, I remember picking up that first drink. I went to go 12-step a guy, 12-step three times by then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember showing up to his house, and all he wanted me to do was go buy him some liquor. And I thought that was a good idea. If that's all I have mm -hmm. to do, and I can be out of here, because I really don't want to be doing this anyhow, mm -hmm. I'll do it. Well, while I was buying him some liquor, I bought myself some liquor, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember I bought myself a Mickey of tequila or whatever it was, and uh, there's two doors that open, and there's two steps to go down to be outside. By the time I hit that second step, that, that Mickey was, was already gone, right? And mm -hmm. I was, you know, I woke up out of a two-week blackout, and I couldn't believe that I picked up a drink. Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't believe that that's what, that was my situation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember having to call my family and, you know, uh, tell them that I've, that I've done this, not knowing that they've already been told, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, they told me either get sober or like they had furnished the house for me because I was doing so well. You know, I was mm -hmm. on the on this really good path, and I was told them I don't think that's going to be the case. And so I remember that they they came over and they unfurnished my house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Once again, I'm sitting in a lawn chair in my front room. You know, mm -hmm. that that alcoholic lifestyle, and uh, you know, so the girl that I'm living with says it's uh, there's a spot for us to go live in the apartment where her family is in Kelowna, so we can move from the we can move up 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 to the Okanagan, and I thought that was a great idea. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that I've gotten three or four fights with this girl, where she, or I've been sent to jail. Mm -hmm. You know, like, but I'm gonna go, it's gonna be okay and be different if I go up there. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a little while it is, a little while yeah. it's okay. And you know, uh, I befriend her dad, and I become really close to her dad. And her dad tells me quite a few times through the year that I'm there that I should go home. Mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't be with his daughter because she's not a good person to be with, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I'm just thinking that he's saying that because that's his daughter, you know, not knowing that that's, he's probably seen things that I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, so finally, uh, February 12th, 2010, uh, I get arrested for the last time. You know, mm -hmm. she calls the police on me and says I've done a whole bunch of terrible things to her and to this one-year-old baby. And uh, that that they need to uh, to come and arrest me. So you know, I take off. Like I'm not going to go to jail for you again. I'm mm -hmm. not doing it because it's not true, and I'm not doing it right. And also, that's the day that the opening ceremonies was for the 2010 Olympics. You know, mm -hmm. and you know, I wasn't going to miss that either. And uh, 
Anyhow, I decided to go back to get my wallet because I'm going to get my wallet and I'm going to come back home. And she can just, you know, be by herself. And I show up and there's just like 12 cop cars and a helicopter. They're like really searching for me. And uh, there's a call, there's a, there's an Okanagan College right across the whole apartment where I live. And, and I'm standing there and I just like, I remember just kind of like just giving up. Mm. Just giving up. I just walked up to the nearest police officer and I said, are you looking for John Spencer? And he said, yeah, and he was quite surprised because I could have walked right by him mm. and walked on a bus and left, the transit bus. And uh, yeah, they arrested me and, you know, they took me in and they questioned me a few times and <clears throat> they wanted to watch the opening ceremonies too and they asked if I had somewhere to go and I did and it was, <clears throat> it was Camp KOL, they called it. And it was like the, probably the biggest party spa in all of Kelowna and that's where mm. her, her brother lived, right? And I was going to be okay with him and, uh, you know... Uh, I stayed there and uh, for a little bit, and uh, you know, they kicked me out, you know, because mm -hmm. I just I don't party like a normal person, I don't drink like a normal person, and, mm -hmm. and well, I was homeless, and I had to be homeless for the few for a little, for a little bit, and uh... people always wonder what it's like, how we party and stuff like that, yeah. until they see it, and then yeah. they're like, Jesus Christ, yeah. what the fuck is that? Yeah, <laughs> like... like when I go to stores, not like. I yeah. buy a twelve pack and I go home. It's like I buy a sixty pounder yeah. and a thirty pack, and like that's just for Friday. Like, and we don't stop when we get sick. Yeah. We don't like yeah. we just throw up and go out. We don't eat for days and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's very, crazy, man. It's very crazy. As you're talking, I'm just getting all this fucking memories coming back, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, geez, no wonder people think we're insane. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> like... you know, it just happened to be that the 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 night the, the night after I got there, they decided it was uh, winter time. They had they had a beach there a theme party mm -hmm. and they actually had like dump trucks full of samurai and it was like all through the house with like two DJs like when I say this place was massive it was mm -hmm. massive and uh you know there was like four or five hundred people showed up I remember the place showing up and I was just like to me that's something to me that that's normal that's normal mm -hmm. for me right and then the, is it a party without the cops that's right yeah like <laughs> I don't know if it is yeah <laughs> and uh funny part of the story is when I got sober and I went back few times to make a few amends in Kelowna. The first amends I made to, uh, the first person I want to talk to was that uh, last arresting officer who saved my life, right? Mm. I think that's important for people to know because mm -hmm. he was just doing his job. Well, and sometimes they do a damn good job with what's in front of them, right? Yeah. And, uh... So I remember being like I'm homeless and I'm on the streets and I get that you know I get that welfare check that I like, that I really need you know like mm. so I'm lucky enough to be one of those alcoholics who still has a bank account mm. like I still have access to getting money somehow and uh, you know so I get into this, the hotel it's called the Oasis it's like right downtown Kelowna never forget it it's where all the cheap rooms are and uh, <clears throat> I get a bed and I get in there. And part of my story is I go across the street to this mall back and forth about 40 times to the liquor store. Cause I want to drink, but I don't want to drink. Mm -hmm. I got to the point where the lady behind the counter uh, was afraid of something bad happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember just telling her, like, I'm an alcoholic, but I don't want to drink. Mm -hmm. She said, so the next time you become the door, I'll just lock it and won't let you in. And I said, I'll try not to come back. But, you know, and that's what happened. And I remember mm -hmm. that that was the first night, you know, I was really, I was sober. And I remember looking in the mirror in that hotel room and not recognizing the person in the mirror. You know? mm -hmm. And having those crocodile tears. And, you know, to me, it was the first time I talked to God and I asked for help. 
because I didn't like I just didn't want to live this lifestyle anymore. And uh, you know, so early the next morning I wake up and uh, you know I go down to the probation office and I need to talk to the probation office because I want to go home and get well because. Uh, <clears throat> Getting well up in the Okanagan and in the interior is a lot different than it is in the mainland. Like mm -hmm. they had two facilities for men, and you know there was a wait list, and they wanted to stay in a homeless shelter, and you had to do a mental health check every day. And you know, the part I haven't told you that by that time I'm homicidal and suicidal. Mm -hmm. Like I'm really not well, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and uh, so I, I talked to this probation officer, and uh, I'll never forget it. I'm sitting in the middle with, of these two guys. You know, this guy was the Kelowna guy that was burning all the houses down back in 2010, he was on the news all the time. And this guy was up on a murder beef and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I just like start crying. And I just remember these two guys just sliding to the end of this bench like, this guy's crazy, man. Mm. This guy must be totally insane. And uh, you know, he allowed me to go home, you know, after a long chat and he, the, that probation officer allowed me to go home. And uh, you know, so I hopped in the cab and I rushed down to the, you know, to the <clears throat> Greyhound station, and I was, you know, like, this is, I know God was working my life. The bus that was supposed to go to the mainland was delayed for 20 minutes, you know? If that bus leaves, I don't know if I could wait around for four hours. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to be, if my story is going to be different. I might probably leave there and go drink and, mm -hmm. you know, get myself into some more trouble, but the bus is there, and I end up getting to come, come down to the coast, and I end up going to a, <clears throat> a homeless shelter, and... Uh, I know when I, on the, that's on the Thursday, on the Monday, I know I want to make it to a place called the Easy Desert Club in Surrey. It's a re recovery club. It's like an Alana club. But it's our, okay, they've got a bunch of meetings all day long. All day long, all the different day, fellowships yeah. with a coffee bar, you know, and yeah. uh, so I remember going there on the Monday and I'm across the street. There's a building, it's called the King George Highway. And I remember just staring across the street and watching all these people laugh and smoke cigarettes. And it's because, fear coming over me because I know if I cross the street, my mm -hmm. life's going to forever change. Mm -hmm. There's no going back. In my mind, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a movie. I remember just taking a step off the, the step and not remember even crossing the street and I'm across the street. Mm -hmm. And I walk in and I know there's the guy's house I want to go to because he does recover at his house. He mm -hmm. doesn't just take your money and sit you on the bed and not help you. He mm -hmm. is recovering, is counseling. And I walk in and I bump shoulders with this lady named Susan Lewis, which was my counselor the first time I got sober. I'm like, Susan. She's like, John. She's, how are you doing? I said, I'm dying. Mm. I said, where are you working? And she pointed at Gary. His name was Gary. Working at Gary. It was like God working in my life, right? Mm. I said, she's like, Gary's got a bed, and this, this guy will get sober if you give him a chance. And Gary looked at this guy behind the counter. His name was Rick, and uh, he was the health manager. And he goes, we got one bed left, mm. you know? I end up going back to the homeless shelter to get myself and getting that one bed. And when I say that one bed, I'm in the basement of this house that's freezing cold. Mm -hmm. There's mattresses on a cement floor, and I think I'm in a five-star hotel. Like, mm -hmm. I'm loving it, you know? Like, <clears throat> this guy beside me is 14 years sober, and his wife just died, and he will never, he doesn't go to sleep. Mm -hmm. The guy across from me, we call him Big Dog, and he snores like a semi, like there's no sleeping. And this guy <laughs> on this side is detoxing off heavy, heavy mm -hmm. drugs. And, uh, you know, for the first time I felt free. Mm -hmm. First time I felt like everything's going to be okay. In that house, they have a thing called uh, 72 
hour recovery where you don't have to go anywhere and you can watch movies and stuff. But no, even as sick as I was, when I woke up the next morning, they were going to go to a new meeting and I was going to go with them. I didn't care how long it took me to walk there. I was going and uh, when I got, when I, we, when they ended up taking me to the, to the meet to the meeting there, and uh, I was I was really I was a lot sicker than I thought I was. And when we got home, they ended up taking me to the hospital because, <clears throat> you know, I only had four percent of my liver left, and I was very sick and jaundiced, and I was about I was, I was about to lose my eyesight. Actually, mm -hmm. we didn't know that either, and uh, and. Uh, and I hadn't detoxed properly, you know, it was all on my mm -hmm. own in a hotel room and in a homeless shelter. And, you know, the whole time I was staying sober and, uh, you know, so they put me on this, this <clears throat> plan to get well. And I ate the things I ate and drank the things I was supposed to drink. I remember it was lots of, lots of water and lots of, you know, like cranberry mm -hmm. juice and all those good things. And, uh, they got me healthy. But the point is I got sober and I did it for myself, you know, and, uh, I did the things that were told of me to do in in, mm -hmm. in that house. You know, uh, it was different this time. Um, uh, you know, we uh, we had a, we had a mandatory meeting every day. It was the noon meeting, but there was also a morning meeting there. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got two guys to walk me to that morning meeting every day, and then I would stay for that noon meeting, and then I would go to group, mm -hmm. and then I'd go to a meeting at night because I wanted this brand new life that was promised to me and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I started really getting involved in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous time. Like, I got a service position, I got a sponsor, I got a home group. I, you know, I was, did stuff on the at the district level. I like, I got really involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I did outside stuff. Like, I went to ma anger management and parenting classes and other things that are also told to me in the book that I can do that. You know, if I decide mm -hmm. to, and uh, <clears throat> I could see myself getting well, and but more importantly, I could see my family getting well. You know, like they weren't having to worry if I was, you know, I'm going to be in a hospital bed, I'm going to be in jail, mm -hmm. or I'm going to get that phone call that, I, that I've died, you know. And I slowly got to become the father that I always wanted to be, you know. I'd spend every weekend after three months of sobriety, they let me spend every weekend with my kids at my mm -hmm. parents' house. And so I started doing, like, becoming their dad. And uh, my life just started becoming the life that I've always wanted, you know. I, I remember at 15 months, I finally moved up my own for the first time and had my own place and uh you know i just continued to do the things i did at that recovery mm -hmm. house you know i did those things and uh you know and then i started i decided i moved out i wanted to go to school and i went to university i never thought i didn't think i liked school that mm -hmm. wasn't the case you know i went to university and i did very well i could read at university level i i started actually like reading i started reading all the time mm -hmm. started developing healthy habits and behaviors and hanging around healthy people all the time and uh you know, in that first year of sobriety, I did three sets of steps, like three really good mm -hmm. sets of steps. And again, when I, like, and I told all the things I was supposed to tell them, those step four and five to people, I told them, and it didn't matter. Like, there were things that when I told people that if I had to go to jail, I was willing to go to jail and stay mm -hmm. sober because I just didn't want any excuses to pick up another drink. And uh, yeah, I've just had a, you know, I've been sober since that day. I haven't, mm -hmm. I haven't drank or, or wanted to drug, and you know, I've become you know, a uh, big part of my family and, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've been in a healthy relationship today. I have that, that's like all those, all those things are new, new to me. And, you know, and I continue to do the things that I was taught in that recovery house. And, uh, you know, I surround myself with a group of men to have the sobriety that I want. And, uh, 
and the life that I want. And I go to lots and lots of meetings and, uh, mm. you know, I have routines like uh, I do step 11 stuff in the morning when I text a bunch of people and talk to a bunch of people. And I have a journal and I have daily readings I read in the morning and I'm always talking to one or two people in the program and I'm available to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm also willing to continue to learn and grow and uh, yeah, that's just the difference for me this time and you know mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, through my recovery too like uh, September I stopped doing but for about six or seven years of my sobriety I worked at homeless shelters you know that was mm-hmm. my way of saying you know I've been there so you know I got to do that I got to experience that too I got to help other alcoholics mm-hmm. and drug addicts try to get sober too right and uh, well that's key yeah and right. you know, I just, I just what's what's working. Yeah, and I just love my life mm-hmm. today, right? It's just, you know, it's, my life is you know, mine today. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I can when I look in the mirror today, I love that man, and I can mm-hmm. recognize him. That's the difference today. And you know, I get I get phone calls all the time. You can ask Mary for people wanting help or mm-hmm. take me through the steps, or can you do this for me? Or, you could do that for me, and yeah, I can, right? Right on. Well, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. I've got to do this a few times, and I love being able to tell my story. Mm. Right? Cause if it helps one other person, it always does. For yeah, sure. that, that that's what it's about. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I just want to thank you for having me, and it's been a blessing. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh-huh. You said you got a, there's an AA thing coming up in Vancouver. Like... Yeah, it's called the North Shore Roundup. Okay. It's the 51st uh, Roundup. Uh, it's really big. They have mm-hmm. people from all over come to it. It's uh, yeah, it's just, I got all the information on my phone, but like, yeah, they had speakers from all over the California, United States this, this mm-hmm. round. Um, and that's coming up April 6th, right? Uh, 7th, 8th, and 9th. 7th, 8th, and 9th, okay. Yeah, it's... Right uh, and it's called the North Shore Roundup? North Shore Roundup, yeah. Okay. I started off, the first one was really small. It was on the North Shore. Now they're, now they're on the, like, the mainland of, mm-hmm. on, in downtown Vancouver. I'm and sure like, there's like a website that people can there, just like yeah. type it in and find it. Roundup.com. Right yeah. yeah, and it's like it's growing like from, a, from a little gym in a school to the Pan Pacific Hotel, which is the five-star hotel where all the cruise ships come in. That's where it's now. Wow, it's, right it's, on. It, yeah, it's massive. It's just grown. It's been. It's grown so much, hey. Yeah. And I have to be. I have to think like podcasts have helped that. Yes. And not just podcasts, but like people being open about their recoveries, just yeah. in general, more. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's awesome. Yeah. Because we need more help, not less. Right. Like. Uh, more help's always. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Always welcome. Yeah. And bigger conventions, because then people can go there, and if they're not sober, which is one of the cool things about AA, is that. You don't have to be sober to be there. You just have to have a desire, right? And, That's right. And people don't know that. Yeah. I, I know that people don't know that because they assume it's abstinence-based, right? But the truth is, no, we don't give a fuck. You can come if you if you just had a couple of drinks, you're welcome to come to a meeting. Yeah. I'll hold the fucking door open for you. Yeah. Because what we've learned, like, and I'm sure you've learned this as well, is that we don't know what it's going to take. Yeah. And it could take that person being there half cut to listen to someone that they've never heard before and all of a sudden they're, the light switch goes off. Yeah. Right? And being able to understand that we don't know what people need. Absolutely. There's a girl that I know that she has multiple years sober now and her first day of sobriety was at the North Shore Roundup. Yeah. Right on. That's where she got sober, man. Yeah. That's, that's... And I'm sure the Banff Roundup, the Calgary, like all these different oh, yeah. roundups, like all across the country and North America and the world, really, that's kind of, to me, it's kind of like a beacon. Right, yeah, like yeah. here's a beacon. You can come and you can have some fun. Yeah, 
you can hear some cool shit, but also if you decide to, you can get sober. Yeah. Because there's a thousands of people there that know how to do that. Yeah, they have a countdown on the Saturday night. <clears throat> oh, do they do the countdown? And it takes it takes a good about an hour to do, but oh, it must with a thousand. The coolest of part is by the end of it, you got about twenty new people on that stage, and you got a guy that's usually yeah. sixty something years sober handing them a big book. That's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. that's cool because that's what ties all of us together, right? Whether you have lots of time, mid time, or short time. Yeah. I like that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Is there me. anything else you want to talk about, no, man? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested, look up the North Shore Roundup, and that's April 7th, 8th, and 9th yeah. in Vancouver. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks. Thank you so much, man.